right, good morning, church. Let's go John chapter four today. Uh, we're coming towards the end of a 12-week sermon series on why you need a biblical church, why you need a biblical church. In a day and age where many people see the church as an optional add-on to an already busy uh, life or even an outdated means of pursuing spirituality, we have seen from God's word each week how you and I are designed that we were created and purposed to experience God and life in God uh, through being meaningfully committed to a biblical church, and not just any church, but to a church that is, is pursuing to do all that God's word says we should do and to be all that God's word says that we should be. Uh, so today we're gonna allow the text uh, that we just uh, heard read to help us see how God has wired us for something. Each and every one of us have been wired for what we're gonna be talking about today. Whether you identify as a Christian or you identify as another religion or you identify as irreligious, it, no matter where you are in your life and where the framework of your worldview is, you are hardwired for what we're gonna be talking about today. And I wanna show you in John chapter four, one of my favorite conversations of Jesus. Jesus is going through a Samaritan town where he seems to randomly bump into a woman at the well. And let's just go ahead and put it out there before we even get going. This conversation takes, takes some downright strange uh, twists and turns. But from the very beginning, from the very beginning, I want you to see what this passage is all about. And you see it right here in verse 20. It says, our fathers, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. So this woman looks at Jesus and says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Today, I want you to see how you and I have been wired to worship. We have been wired to worship. Worship is not as much as something you do as it, as it is as who you are, It's who you are. And I want so badly for you to see that God has lovingly and graciously called you to be a part of a church that leads you to biblical worship. Now, the best way I know how to illustrate this is to tell you about one of the lowest points of my life. It was actually right outside of a gas station in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I was sitting on the curb next to my wife of two weeks, and we were looking at a U-Haul that was filled full of all of our belongings. We had packed it full two weeks out of our marriage, uh, uh, two weeks from our, our wedding day. We had just come off of a honeymoon. Everything was great. We're moving to Raleigh, North Carolina for me to pursue uh, more education. And, uh, and so we, I fill up, the, fill up the truck and I crank it back up. And next thing you know, black smoke starts billowing out of the U-Haul, fills up the entire uh, gas station parking lot, the entire area. And then it sputters out and, it's, and it dies. 
And it's in that moment that I realized I just filled up a gasoline truck with diesel fuel. That's not the lowest point, and the lowest point's about to come. And we're sitting there, okay, this, this U-Haul truck in Atlanta, Georgia, and, and, and it seems like cars were just trying to get away from us, and every time they were getting around us, they, 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 who was in the car would always look at me with, like, utter disgust, like, what kind of moron would do that, you know? And, uh, and so we're just sitting there, and, and then the low point happens. My wife utters to me the words that no man ever wants to hear, she looks at me and she says, I think we need to call my dad. <laughs> so I learned that day a valuable lesson. Every engine needs proper fuel. Every engine needs proper fuel. Now, as most illustrations, this one breaks down at some point, but what we worship, who we worship, how we worship fuels our life. And, and just like diesel fuel is not meant to run gasoline engines, there's no other type of worship that is intended to fuel your life other than biblical worship. You see, each of us were created with a soul, and our soul's constantly seeking satisfaction. It's, it's what our soul is created for, to seek satisfaction. So our souls have been uniquely designed by God to be satisfied, listen, in the worship of God. That's how our souls have been uniquely designed by God to be satisfied in the worship of him. Now, I hope you're tracking with me because this is critically important for all of us, no matter where you stand in your pursuit of faith, how long you've been attending worship, what your belief system is, it's very important for each of us to slow down this morning and realize that our souls have been uniquely designed by God to be satisfied in worshiping him. This is exactly what Psalm 63 says. Psalm 63 says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be what? Satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. Do you want that kind of satisfaction? Like deep soul satisfaction in your life. You know, in one sense, this is one of the easiest sermons I've ever preached because I don't have to convince many of you of this truth. I'm confident that each of you deep down inside, you long for this type of fulfillment. You long for this type of satisfaction. And I want you to see that you were created for this. You were created to experience this type of soul satisfaction. And I want to show you this beautifully and powerfully conveyed in John chapter 4. 
On this Sunday, as we think about the trait of biblical worship, there might not be a better passage of Scripture to help us see what we are to pursue, yes, in personal, private worship, but also corporate worship. When we gather each week a part of these worship gatherings at NBC Loudon. So John chapter 4, I want you to see three critical realities of biblical worship. The type of worship that satisfies your soul. So Jesus is leaving one region and he's going headed to another one. And don't miss verse four. Verse four says, he, Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. This is what he had to do. Now, it's interesting where this passage of scripture falls, where this part of the story of the gospel of John falls. It comes right after John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, of the, of, we, we have that famous conversation between Jesus and a religious leader who is named. His name is Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness because he doesn't want to be associated with this person. So he comes under the cover of darkness and Nicodemus comes in and has a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus tells him, don't miss this, everyone needs the grace of God. And just think about that. Every single one of us walked in here in great need of the grace of God. And Nicodemus, this religious elite, this person who was highly religious, learned right there in the cover of darkness where he didn't want anybody to know he was associating with Jesus. He found out everyone needs the grace of God. And you turn one page over to John chapter 4. And it's not someone seeking out Jesus under the cover of darkness. It's Jesus saying, I have to go this way. I have to go this way. And in John chapter 4, we see Jesus seeking out a forbidden woman. We don't even know her name. We don't even know her name. She's unnamed. And what she finds out is that anyone can receive the grace of God. Anyone. So today, no matter where you've been and what kind of mess you've made of your life, listen to me. Any one of us can receive the grace of God today. It's available today to all of us. You see, Jesus is a Jewish man, and he left a Jewish, Jewish region, and any normal Jew would have gone out of their way to avoid Samaria. Any good Jewish man would have gone out of their way to avoid this town and this woman. But mark this down, Jesus is no normal Jewish man. He doesn't stick to the religious customs of his day because he came for a different reason. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to satisfy the souls of people like this very woman, like this very woman. So it's high noon. No one is going to go to the well at this time. No one goes at this time unless you are ridden with guilt and you're hiding in shame and you don't want to face the mess of your life. That's when you go to the well. And verse 7 says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me as a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now remember, this is all about worship. This is all about worship. And here we find the first critical reality of biblical worship. Worship that will satisfy your soul is worship that is centered on God. That is centered on God. Let's go back and and look at this. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me this drink. And, and, And she looks at him and is like, totally stunned. Who are you to talk to me? Like, this is never happening. And what does Jesus say? If you knew the gift of God right here before you, he, uh, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So mark this down. Worship that satisfies your soul is never centered on you. It's not about you. It's about God. He is the one who is worthy of our worship. He is the one who can, remember Psalm 63, satisfy your soul. You don't look in a mirror to have soul satisfaction. You don't look into your investment portfolio to satisfy the deepest cravings of your soul. You don't look to other relationships in this world to find satisfaction for your soul. And this woman needed to know this truth today. This woman needed to know right there at the well, the things that you are pursuing to satisfy your soul are not satisfying you. This is all about God. And you and I need to be reminded of this today. Worship that satisfies our soul is not about us. It's not about your preferences. It's not about your tastes. It's not about your wants or your likings. And sadly, churches have argued over styles of worship. We've argued about who who should we be focused on? Should we be focused on people who are seeking God or should we be focused on people who believe in God? And both are wrong. This is not about you or me. This is about God. This is about God. This is about the gift of God that is before us. This is all about him. This is why... uh, the worship that satisfies our soul is centered on him. Paul wrote in the, in the epistle to Romans, this letter he wrote to the church of Rome. He said, for from him and through him and to him are what? All things. To him be glory forever. Can I tell you why worship that satisfies your soul is not about you? Because ultimately nothing is from you. And ultimately, nothing is through you or to you. You don't deserve the worship. You don't deserve the glory. This is who God is. This is why soul-satisfying worship is God-centered. This is why I believe the first of the Ten Commandments is one of the most gracious gifts of revelation of God that he could have given us. What is the first commandment? Only worship me. Don't worship anything else. Don't center your worship on anything other than me. And that's not to keep us from having fun. That's not to kind of hem us into the religious way of life. That is to keep us on the way of everlasting joy. That's so that our souls can be satisfied in the worship of God. Seeking, your soul, seeking satisfaction for your soul 
through money or career or family or fame or romance or power or comfort, anything other than God, listen to me, it will never satisfy your soul. And hear me, the very thing that you pursue to satisfy your soul will end up enslaving you. It will end up enslaving you. It won't satisfy. It will enslave you. This is why we need a biblical church. This is why we need to gather together week in and week out in a church that calls our attention back to God. Not to center your life on anything other than God. Because that's where our souls are satisfied. And when we seek other things to satisfy our souls, we become enslaved by those very things. David Foster Wallace, from my understanding, was not a believer. He did not, he's not some Christian theologian who said this. To my understanding, he's a very famous novelist. And he spoke exactly to the heart of this issue today. This is what he said. He said, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for anybody choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You, you will never feel that you have enough. Worship your body, beauty, and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age starts showing you, uh, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power. You will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need even more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid being a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship, this is what he says, they're unconscious. They're our default settings. We just just default in seeking satisfaction in these things. And Jesus is going to this well. He is at the well. He had to go there to seek and to save a person whose worship was disordered who is seeking soul satisfaction in something other than the worship of God. And he's doing the same today. He's going to the well. He's going, he's coming into our lives to seek out and to save those of us who have disordered our worship or who are looking for satisfaction in anything other than the worship of God. Now, you might be saying to yourself, Britton, I thought we were talking about worship. Praise music, you know, turning on the Christian music and the radio, like worship gatherings, and I'm not really tracking with you. And here's where I want to slow down and make sure that you understand. Worship is about value. It's about value. It's ascribing value or worth to someone or something. I love Louis Giglio's definition of worship. He says, worship is our response to whatever we value most in our lives. That's what worship is. And you and I need a church that will call us to center our worship, our response to what we value most on God. 
We need a church that will not cater to our wants or reduce it down to whatever is palatable to us. We need a church that will call us to worship God in a way that is centered on who he is and all he has done. And if we're going to rightly worship God centered on him, then secondly, I want you to see that worship must be driven by the word. It must be driven by the word. And we're going to take a little bit of a detour, and we're going to drop down uh, to verses 19. Jesus, in verses 11 through 18, just speaks straight to this woman's deepest hurt. And we're going to get there in just a moment. But verse 19, the woman says to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. Now we're going to see where Jesus got real, real quick with this woman. But before we do that, I want to show you a very important reality that's being conveyed here. She says, we worship, uh, no, no, no. She says, not there yet. She says, um, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the, pl- is the place where people ought to worship. And notice what Jesus doesn't say. Well, you choose wherever you want to worship, however you want to worship. As long as you're worshiping, this is a good thing. Jesus doesn't say that. Notice what Jesus does say. What Jesus does say is you worship what you do not know. And we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. For salvation is from the Jews. This is is what he's communicating. It's not that you get to choose as a human being whichever way you want to worship. I'll worship this way. Some people go to church. Some people don't. I like going out in the woods. I like going fishing. No, God has said there is a right way to worship and a wrong way to worship. Now, the way I break it down is this. Most Most all of us pursue knowledge of God and worship of God in one of two ways. The first way is we pursue him in in our imagination. We imagine what is God like? What, What do we think God is like? And then we worship him based upon our imagination. But that doesn't work. That will never satisfy your soul. The second of the Ten Commandments tells us, do not image God. Don't make an image of God. You are not to know and worship God through your imagination. You are to know and worship God through his revelation. Through his revelation. He doesn't give it up to you and say, hey, imagine whatever you like. He has already revealed who he is. He's already revealed his ways. He's already revealed his character, his purposes, his glory. And you can't in and of yourself imagine that correctly. We are able to know God by revelation. And we have perfectly, we have the perfect revelation of God through his word and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So soul-satisfying worship must be driven by the word. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, we sing the songs we do. 
Jess and, and the team doesn't come up on, on Wednesday and figure out, okay, what are some songs that will emotionally click and, and they'll like and what are the top songs out there? No, we, we choose songs that help us celebrate and, and to understand and to realize who is God and what are his ways like. We need to worship God in a way that is centered on his word. We need to think rightly about God And when we do know the word of God, then this ultimate revelation of who he is is central in all of our worship. And we need to know know more than just things about God. This is where I would encourage us, even challenge us. Listen, you can know all the things about God and not worship God. You can know all the things about God and not worship God. We must allow the truths of who he is and all that he's done for us to to permeate every aspect of our being and to permeate all of our worship. And then when that happens, we begin to worship in ways that he speaks of in verses 23 and 24 when he says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That the truth of who God is and all he has done, yes, it informs us and it helps us understand who God is. But that needs to seep down into our soul. It needs to permeate our being. And then when we lift it back up to him and praise him for who he is and all that he's done, we begin to worship in spirit and truth. It's not just the externals. It's not just coming here and singing a few songs and sitting under a sermon. It's worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So in a very clear way, worship is a response to the revelation of God. It's what's true of him. It's, it's what, true of what he's done. And it leads us to respond to him and we worship in spirit and in truth. This is what Psalm 106 verse 12 says. They believed his words, his revelation. And what did they do? They responded. They sang his praise. When you rightly know who God is and all he's done, the response to that, the sole response to that is to sing his praise. It's to sing his praise. Soul-satisfying worship should be centered on God. It should be driven by the word of God, not our imaginations, but by the revelation of God. And thirdly, I want you to see that it is critical that our worship be saturated in the gospel that our worship be saturated in the gospel. We took a bit of a detour. I want to go back to verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it and as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. And Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right in saying that. I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where uh, people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, Sir, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I want to slow down and allow what we just read to take root in each of our lives and across this church. Here is a woman who comes out at the sixth hour, high noon. She's hiding in shame. She's fearful of being seen. That which she thought would satisfy her soul has enslaved her. She's guilty and she's broken. And she meets Jesus. In fact, Jesus had to go the way he went. Why? Because worship that satisfies the soul, listen, is worship that is generated out of a life that has been made aware of our great need and found that great need to be met in the person and work of Jesus. That's what's happening. Did you get those phrases from the beginning? The gift of God? If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, think about it. He didn't say, if you knew the standard, if you knew the law of God, and I, I'm not, I don't wanna pit those and say those are bad things, but that's not the phrase Jesus used here. Jesus looks at her and says, if you knew the gift of God that was looking at you in the face, you would ask me, you would ask me for a drink. And what would I do? He said, if you would ask me, I would give it to you. I would give it to you. And here's the reality. Jesus comes to the well, not condoning the woman's sin. He doesn't come to the well condemning the woman. He comes to the well to show her, to reveal to her his goodness and his grace, to draw her back, to reorder her worship so her soul can no longer be enslaved by the very thing she thought was going to bring satisfaction. But her soul could be deeply satisfied in the rightly ordered worship of God. The rightly ordered worship of God. Can we be honest with each other? This is, this is true of all of us. Every single one of us walked in to worship today, either denying our sin and hiding it from others or acknowledging our sin and confessing it to others. And what Jesus does is one of the more gracious things. He, he doesn't allow the woman to keep those hidden things in the recesses of her heart. 
He, he requires her to be honest with where she is. Not gloss over what has been done, not turn a deaf ear or a blind eye, but he looks at her and he says, go find your husband. He knew exactly where she had been. And he knew if her soul was going to be satisfied, she needed to be released from the slavery of what she was giving her soul over to be satisfied to. And he calls us to be honest as well. He doesn't call us to come in here week in and week out and put on a fake smile, to put on our Sunday's best and act as if everything's great and wonderful. He doesn't call us in here to just sing the songs and sit under the preaching and act as if everything's okay and go on about another week and another week and another week. That will not ultimately satisfy your soul. Worship that is centered on the gospel requires you to be honest, honest with yourself, honest with others, and honest before God, honest before God. When we gather for worship, here's the good news. There is no failure, no weakness, no sin that is beyond the reach of God's grace. And this frees us up to be honest with each other in our worship. Not to come in here and act as if everything's okay, to come in here and it's okay not to be okay. And then to fix our eyes on Jesus, the gift of God, who says, all you have to do is ask and I'll give it to you. I'll satisfy your soul. I'll release you of the slavery in your soul and I will satisfy you, but it will require you to be honest. Every single week, we open up our doors and we gather together knowing every single one of us needs the grace of God. Every single one of us. And any of us can receive the grace of God. It requires us to be honest, honest before God and honest before others. Another thing that gospel-saturated worship brings about is humility. Humility. Think about this, where this woman finds herself. One of the most dangerous temptations for us when we gather to worship week in and week out in Loudoun County is to appear to be more righteous than we really are. For us to appear that we're more righteous than what we really are, to project our strength, to project we've got it all together. And in doing that, we quickly suppress our ability to cry out for the help that we need from God. Seeking to protect our reputation among others can become a higher priority than bringing our great need to the one who can satisfy our souls. When we worship biblically, listen to me, the gospel is saturated in our worship and the fruit of that is not patting each other on the back. The fruit of that is genuine humility before God. Genuine humility before each other. This is what soul-satisfying worship brings about. Worship saturated in the gospel will also produce forgiveness. <laughs> forgiveness. John chapter 4, read it again. Listen, Jesus didn't confuse forgiveness for permissiveness. Is everybody hearing me? Jesus doesn't come in and just look the other way. He doesn't let it slide. He went straight to the heart of the matter. He says, you have, you have sought, he's, he's revealing that they have sought to satisfy their soul in something other than the worship of God. 
And there she was staring at the one, listen, staring at the one who her sins had ultimately offended. And at the same time, locked eye to eye with the very one who would pay the penalty in full for her sins. This is what worship, biblical worship does on a week to week basis. This is what we need to cultivate in our church. Not to come in here and and arouse our emotions and high-five each other. It's to come face-to-face with the God who is holy and face-to-face with the God who loves us and paid in full the penalty to our sin. It fosters forgiveness. Only in Jesus can we be fully known by him and loved more than we could ever comprehend. And then lastly, I want you to see, worship that's saturated in the gospel also fosters restoration. Restoration. Notice that Jesus is not taking sin lightly here. He's not taking rebellion as something that's not important. The gospel never minimizes the damaging reality of our sin. But while it takes sin seriously, the gospel is anchored in the power to restore our lives. Is it not? to restore your life and my life, to restore us and our relationships. This is what the power of God is to salvation. It has the power to turn hardened hearts, to rebuild a life from the ashes. So worship that is saturated in the gospel should lead to restoration, which is why we as a church run to the hurting. We run to the suffering. We run towards those who have made a mess of their life. This is one of the reasons at the end of our our worship gatherings each week, we celebrate the Lord's Supper to recommit our lives. This is about the restoration work of the gospel. Jesus can take broken, weak, weary sinners and restore them to rightly ordered worship where their souls can be satisfied in God. So Jesus came. He didn't come for the strong. He came for the weak. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sinners. He didn't come for the self-sufficient. He came for those who needed rescue. And all who come to him by faith, trusting in him, have a welcome in his presence. In closing, listen, you and I need a church that will call us to biblical worship. And you and I need a church that will not just appease us as our life sputters out of control, as we seek satisfaction from the things of this world. We need so much more. We need a church that's going to call us to biblical worship that is centered not on you, but on God. That's not driven by our imagination, however we want to worship, but it's driven by the word of God. And that's saturated not on your good works or your efforts, but is saturated on the good news of Jesus Christ. And in that, we can be honest. It creates humility. It fosters forgiveness. And we experience the restoration that God has come to bring. Would you pray with me? Just in the stillness of this moment, I want to give us an opportunity to respond just to the word of God, the preaching of God's word, to consider where 
you are seeking satisfaction for your soul. Just take a few moments here to give you a chance to evaluate where life is. What concerns me is that we can come in and participate in the elements of worship, singing, preaching, the Lord's Supper, prayer, confession, all of these things, and we can miss the essence of worship. We can miss the essence of worship, that this is all about God. This is driven by his word. It's saturated in the good news of Jesus. Would you just take a moment to consider where is your soul seeking satisfaction? Is it in the worship of God or is it in someone or something else? just seeing John chapter 4 and hearing it read and digging into what's taking place within this conversation, it just causes us to stop and to thank you that you did not leave us in our feeble efforts to satisfy our souls with money and power and earthly relationship. You are so gracious to us. We praise you for the grace that is available to each of us that will lead us to be satisfied in the worship of who you are, God, and all you've done for us. In our weakness and in our failures, we deserve to remain enslaved and to experience your wrath. But in your grace, we can worship you, God. We can be honest before you. We can come out of hiding and be honest. We can be humble to see how great you are, how glorious you are. We can give thanks that we can meet you right now by your grace. So we pray, God, as a church family, we pray that you would be honored in each of our lives as we worship you, as our church gathers together week in and week out to worship you. Would you create in us a church family where there's a heart of worship, where the collective heart is, our souls are being satisfied, uniquely satisfied in the worship of God, and us placing the highest value on who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.